Hello, and welcome to the second podcast in FortScale's Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. I am Bill Bozen, and I will be the moderator of today's talk on your evolving digital life, which will focus on the application of security analytics and how they help us make smarter decisions about user awareness and user behavior. Our panelists, once again, are FortScale CEO Edon Tendler. Edon is a serial entrepreneur and recognized expert in the field of cybersecurity and threat intelligence. And uh, we're grateful to have Edon with us. He's got a lot of experience and, and in fact, was a lead agent of the 8200, which is a cyber warfare division of the Israeli Defense Forces. Thank you, Edon, for being with us once again. Thank, th- thank you, Bill. And third certainty editor-in-chief, Byron Akahito. We welcome you, Byron. Uh, Byron has numerous national journalism awards uh, and uh, recently been uh, involved in in a great body of work at USA Today where he's uh, been well recognized on his work with the rise of cybercrime and demise of personal privacy. Thank you for joining with us today, Byron. Oh, thanks, Bill. Very glad to be here. Let's talk about the explosion of digital data and devices. It's pretty common these days for an individual to have actually terabytes of personally managed data. And then, of course, there's the data owned or at least controlled by other entities that affect us personally. Our work, our bank, online merchants, and other entities we interact, not to mention, of course, social media sites. And all of these entities have literally volumes of data about us. So my question is this. How has this tremendous increase in data affected the security of of our world? Byron, let's start with you. What are your thoughts? Well, just reflecting on this, it's pretty amazing to think that in 1999, the first Harry Potter book came out, and Jeff Bezos got a light bulb went off in his head to start Amazon. And look how far we've come since then. I think you know, the basic problem boils down to how we're using the Internet, and which was originated. The whole idea behind it was a military academic experiment in distributed computing. Uh, the Internet was never intended as a secure transaction channel for global commerce, yet look how we've pushed uh, its commercial uses. Uh, first, you know, the PC era and email, and now we're into... Uh, cloud services and social media and mobile devices. Um, and so what, you know, it can get quickly get overwhelming, but really what it all boils down to is that there is this dirt cheap infrastructure. It's anonymous. It's globally distributed. Everyone on the planet uh, who has an Internet-connected computing device is part of this distributed uh, network. So the good guys and the bad guys uh, are trying to leverage this or are leveraging it. And it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. And that's especially what we're seeing now in the era of, uh, you know, cloud computing and mobile devices. Um, You've got free email. You've got the death of privacy. You've got cheap and free processing power and cloud storage. So that's being put to very legitimate use, some uh, gray area uses, and as the legitimate uses are put forward, it opens up doors and windows, and really it is about uh, the bad guys simply doing uh, what is easiest, going into the easiest doors and windows, 
and perpetuating scams that uh, proved to be money makers in the PC era. Uh, they're adapting them now to the mobile era. What are, what are your thoughts on this? Why, you know, yeah. how has this tremendous increase in, in, in the amount of data affected the security of, of our world? Yeah, uh, Bill, I want to continue actually the great point that Byron mentioned. I mean, uh, if I'm looking on the enterprise, uh, and, you know, if I'm looking on conversations that we have with CISOs, you understand and you see, according to their actions, that they understand that uh, the, the old way of thinking of uh, I would secure my enterprise with uh, amazing peri- perimeter security is not longer relevant. Uh, because the amount of data, the variety of data they need to protect, and also the fluidity of it, um, you you cannot keep the data in specific servers anymore or specific applications because the most valuable asset that you have is actually the employees, and the employees have access to all the sensitive data and sometimes sensitive applications and sometimes even the crown jewel applications of the enterprise, and even if you think about the cloud and the bring your own device, and, and so, but not only. Uh, the employee itself, usually he will go uh, at the end of the day to his home, uh, to his family, and he carries with his, uh, himself a, a huge knowledge and know-how about the company and, and how to reach sensitive data, and attackers know that, and this is why they try to get access to this single employee. Sometimes it even not an employee, sometimes the contractor that has access uh, uh, from outside to the enterprise. And this is why uh, I see a great shift in the last year in how enterprises deal with securing the data and, and, and how do they need to think of, uh, to, how do they find the uh, malicious activity and how can they catch uh, the bad guys. So let's elaborate a bit. So, Byron, with all this data that's available to, to the hackers today that you know, wasn't necessarily available in the past, how, how has this data changed the way hacker or the tools that a hacker might have and, and the way they can operate? Um, Bill, I think what's happened is the, the, the hackers, the bad guy hackers, are uh, – pretty straightforwardly motivated, looking for the easiest course. And really, it's how they've changed is they've just not changed. They've continued to, to look for the easiest target. target. And uh, I agree with it, Don. It really comes down to the individual u- user as the main target. So with all the fancy stuff that the bad guys can do once they're inside the network in terms of staying low under the radar and... and, and uh, exfiltrating data over long periods of time and, and getting to the crown jewels, all that stuff begins, it's amazing to think about this, but really it begins through two paths, either phishing, where you simply fool somebody into clicking on a viral attachment or a link that is still one of the primary ways they get initial access. Uh, the other way is through drive-by downloads, where actually no user interaction is required. Uh, it's just, um, you know, this is perfected in the PC era and now going to the mobile era, but basically uh, the bad guys have numerous ways to uh, infect or plant infections on, on websites and either just wait for people to go there or to steer them there through 
uh, different means. And you know, once you get that initial toehold on a network, then there's lots of tools that are available, really turnkey to even low-level bad guys to use. And of course, the higher-level elite groups, um, you know, have uh, very powerful tools that they can use to take advantage. But those are the two ways they get in. Now, I suppose uh, if there's a silver lining in in this, is that although all the data and uh, everything that's available to the dark side uh, today, there's those that same amount of data and tools are hopefully available to the uh, cyber professionals who are fighting cyber crime. Uh, what tools do you believe we have now that that are available to uh, to cyber professionals that maybe weren't available in the past? Well, I think uh, in the last two years especially, maybe three, four years, there's been a ton of venture capital investment in some really cool, powerful tools. I don't, I don't think the uh, good guy technology side, uh, Fortscale would be in this group, you know, has lagged at all. I think the technology is rapidly emerging, and a lot of it has to do with uh, behavior analysis, correlating data in a more efficient way, and making it more useful and useful dashboards and other methodologies. And, uh, you know, along with that, the companies still have to set the policies and, you know, identify what their goal is for investing in security technology. But it's, I think that's one of the most encouraging things. I, I go to all these security shows like RSA and Black Hat, and uh, each year they're bigger and better, and there's more people and more technology, more ideas. You know, lots of smart ideas are out there, and lots of technology is emerging. And I think the best of those breeds, uh, it's inevitable over the next few years, you know, they're going to really start hopefully slowing the curve where the bad guys are way ahead and slowly, you know, sort of turning the curve. Um, so that's the exciting part to, to watch as that whole thing unfolds. Yeah, and Bill, maybe uh, I will add, uh, and I agree with Byron here, you know, I think the one thing that uh, happened is the fact that security analyst teams and SOC has suddenly a technology that uh, five years ago, Eight years ago, only the intelligence community had, you know, uh, technologies like data mining. Uh, in the past, it was the method uh, and technology and technique that only intelligence communities uh, all over the world has used to, uh, to catch terrorists. And now you don't need to invest dozens of millions of dollars, and you don't need to have... Uh, dozens and dozens of uh, security specialists and data scientists in order to leverage these techniques. Uh, these techniques, these technologies have, 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 became, uh, have become products. And now SOC teams could use the same technologies and techniques, and they have become much more accessible. You know, I'd like to add that, uh, Idan, I think you probably would agree to this that it's all it's all of this stuff is driving down market as well not only from the yeah. financial services and the department of defense it's driving down to the healthcare uh you know industry to the retail industry manufacturing it's also uh in, there's major companies like IBM and Dell who are uh creating you know managed security services to take these same principles the same good practices the same technology 
and distributing it down to the small and mid-sized enterprises, which need this just as well, I mean, just as much as the large companies do. So I think it's encouraging. I couldn't agree more with Idan. I think what we're seeing is sort of the early stages of sort of commoditizing this next generation of technology, you know, in areas of like encryption, sandboxing, sharing threat intelligence, behavior analytics is right in the midst of all that. They're all maturing and, uh, you know, there's bets being placed on them by Wall Street. So there's definitely drivers in place. Now, now you mentioned yeah. a lot of different technologies. One of those was user behavior analytics. Um, and we touched a bit on this in the, in the last podcast, but I wanted to return. Um, you know, how is user behavior analytics different from from SIM or security information and event management? Can can an organization benefit from having both technologies? Yeah, so uh, I think maybe I will start with the second part of the question because it's quite straightforward. Absolutely, yes. Uh, enterprises can and usually they do. They, they benefit from both and they are complementary to each other. Maybe I will explain. You know, SIM is not a new technology, not a new product, not a new solution. And it's based on the, the, the basic principle that you need to manage logs. Uh, so log management is the basic and the fundamental uh, need that drives the SIM uh, solutions. Uh, now, SIM are rule-based, so I'm trying to catch an interesting activity inside my enterprise based on rules that I predefined, and it's based on heuristics that, that I predefined, and I predefined them and I'm trying to catch this uh, 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 bad activity usually on real time. So only if now I see an activity from specific firewall or specific machine or specific user that is going right now and uh, it's something that I didn't um, uh, say it's legitimate in advance, so now it's an event I should uh, look into it. Uh, and if you think about user. Uh, this user, you have, uh, uh, let's call him David, and he suddenly walks in 2 a.m. And usually, you know, I define in advance that uh, if user is walking after 1 a.m., that's a really bad sign. I need to, to, to see what he's doing. But actually, uh, this user uh, is a developer, a young developer, and he likes to walk in 2 a.m. So now you created false positive. And this is the basic challenge with SIM systems are not behavioral based. Uh, they maybe they support lots of use cases, that's for sure, but uh, they have uh, they are they have limited capabilities in in catching bad users, and they create tons of false positives. They require to you know uh, adjust rules and tons of work there, so it's not that cost effective. And this is where user behavioral analytics came. And user behavior analytics, first of all, it's designated to solve these, this family of use cases. And this is the user-related threats uh, that we all know uh, become critical to the enterprise. Uh, but more than that, user behavior analytics is entirely based on behavior, meaning we don't know what is good or bad. We don't know if walking in 2 a.m. is good or bad. We just learn it from the behavior of the entity, of the user. So if this user has walked in 2 a.m. in the past, or his peers, for example, walked in 2 a.m. in the past, maybe it's good. And this is why it's not 
it, maybe it's not a malicious activity. And this is why at the end, user behavior analytics not only uh, could help security analysts catch the bad guys, but it could also do that in very uh, low rate of false positive, in very accurate way. Um, but this is maybe why they are complementary to each other. SIM is the great and very uh, um, proven tool to deal with logs, to manage them, to manage uh, rules, and so on. But user behavior analytics is on top of that. Uh, it creates the alerts, it creates the investigation capabilities, and the visibility into user behavior. Now, the way I look at it, Idan, is that uh, you know, if you think about transactional analysis of your payment cards or credit cards, the financial services community has uh, refined that to the nth degree. Um, you know, it's a little, there is more complexity having to do with a network of whatever business you're doing, but it's the same sort of data mining using algorithms and actually using intelligence uh, from multiple sources to, over time, you know, make your, uh, your filter uh, as accurate as possible for the, for the given organization. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there's lots yeah. of promise in that area and, and the fact that technology is coming along to make that, uh, you know, more accessible and, and, you know, more affordable and, and uh, you know, productive for, for specific organizations is a good thing that's going to help us and it's going to turn it over the longer, you know, over the next few years and decade. Now, when we look at the, the various uh, serious breaches, it seems like the ones where the most millions and millions of dollars lost, usually involves uh, uh, misuse, abuse, or, or the theft of user credentials, their IDs and, and their passwords. So how can user behavior analytics help detect when user credentials have been stolen? So, um, you know, it's exactly one of the uh, use cases that we are focused on and one of the main use cases customers ask us to focus on. Um, and, you know, the fact that we uh, profile user behavior uh, helps us to detect uh, users that uh, acted weirdly uh, and users that been probably been compromised by external attackers or even users that have become risky and malicious from, with, uh, from inside. Uh, the fact that we could focus on privileged users, the fact that we could focus on admins, for example, also give us the ability to focus on the most sensitive users out there. Um, and we do that, and we have tons of findings around these users. Uh, sometimes it's around account abuse. Users, uh, some privileged users are using the same privileged accounts, and that is extremely risky to the enterprise. Sometimes we even find malicious activity uh, in this aspect um, uh, exactly. And also, if you're thinking about uh, um, privileged users and admins, sometimes we even analyze their specific behavior in the Active Directory. Uh, this user just uh, escalated privileges to himself or to others and combined with other insights that we have about him, we say, hey, this guy is definitely doing something that uh, he didn't do in the past or his peers didn't do, so that makes him very suspicious. He's a risk score increasing to the top, you need to investigate it. Um, and, but, you know, keep in mind that to find bad guys, it's not only to focus on the uh, privileged accounts, 
because sometimes the attacker will choose the, the weakest link. It could be uh, a junior employee, it could be a secretary. They will try to hijack their credentials and from there to uh, continue their lateral movement or even their exfiltration. So our recommend recommendation to our customers is to profile the entire user population because uh, uh, they all could be uh, risky. Yeah, I have a that brought to mind, Idan, uh, this case that I know about uh, that happened recently at a large multinational where the, the uh, attackers targeted a very low-level clerk, uh, fished her, and, you know, got on her computer, and then just waited. And, uh, well, no, actually, they didn't wait. What they did was they purposely slowed down her PC performance, hoping that she would call the help desk, and guess what? She did. So they were there and watching when the help desk technician who had elevated privileges came on and took over remote control. And at that moment, they, you know, compromised his machine. So that's how they got deeper inside. So and the bad guys are doing this full time. You know, they're looking for um, whatever smart ways to get access. So I think you're right. I think it, you know, has to be uh, across the board in terms of, uh, uh, you know, analyzing the behavior of all users. Yeah, interesting. You know, and, and with all of this, uh, these activities going on and the security staff trying to keep up with it, uh, we'll conclude with, with this question for each of you. But, you know, many organizations simply don't have sufficient staff, and I'm talking about security staff, to, to follow up on or, or, or perhaps even understand all of the security-related incidents in a way that, you know, what should they be looking for? So, so my question for each of you is this. Can, can user behavior analytics or machine learning or these new technologies we've been talking about, can it help these organizations who are, who are understaffed from a security point of view? Yeah, let's, start with you, uh, uh, let's start with you, Byron, and Idan will let you finish up. Absolutely, yes. I, I think there's a lot of promise in this area um, for organizations of all size. Uh, I think it's a natural progression of things. Yeah, and I will add that, uh, you know, uh, analytics and machine learning are great tools. They help us to find bad guys. They help us to lower false positives. But eventually, our goal uh, and other UBA vendors' goal is not only to catch the bad guys. That's the, the, the obvious one. One of our goals is to make the world of analytics accessible to everyone. You don't need to be a data scientist or a PhD in, I don't know, data mining in order to use these kind of tools. Uh, you don't need to expand dramatically your team in order to use these tools. They should be quite easy to use. And, and, and this is why uh, we all the time think not only how can we catch the bad guys, but also how can we explain the results to the analysts? How can we... Uh, make the, this complex world of data mining and, and behavioral analytics accessible to guys that are, they don't have lots of time, they need to be very focused and very efficient, and they not necessarily have background in machine learning. And, and, and usually we do that. And this is why I'm very optimistic that um, uh, this world of uh, user behavioral analytics could also help the security team to be much more uh, efficient and cost-effective and to 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 create more results in less time. Very good. And with that, we've come to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank both Idan and Byron once again for their insights on this fascinating topic. And thanks to all of you for listening today. Uh, don't forget to join us for our next podcast 
building the next generation of cyber professionals. For a complete description of our topics and airing dates, please visit the FortScale Insider blog at fortscale.com slash blog. I'm Bill Bozen. Thank you again, and goodbye. <music>